Episode 80, Cooking Guru, Jamie Geller, Part 1. Welcome to the First Year Married Podcast, where we get real about building the marriage of your dreams. I'm marriage coach Kayla Levin, and I take newly married and engaged women from anxious and insecure to confident and connected through practical tips, real-life inspiration, and more than a little self-awareness along the way. Welcome back, ladies. As I announced last week, I wanted to do this summer series called Who's Your Guru? In this series, I looked for people who are passionate about the areas that so many of us really find to be a big struggle and a big drag. I want to be clear that this isn't about raising the bar or creating some kind of perfectionist ideal or some modern version of Martha Stewart. This is about suggesting to our minds that maybe those areas that are so frustrating for us could actually be enjoyable. I gave the example last week of Mrs. Hinch, who's an Instagrammer who's really into cleaning her house. And as much as I've, you know, I'll I'll like go and look at one of her stories and I listen to her audiobook and I use that to kind of reframe my relationship with the home, I want to make it clear that my house doesn't look like hers now. I have dirty dishes in the sink as I'm recording this. And I think that's fine because what I'm really working on is the underlying thinking and beliefs and emotions about dealing with my house, right? When I finally do get around to washing those dishes, it doesn't have to be a chore that creates resentment or frustration. I could actually enjoy myself. I could envision the final process. So this week, I am super excited to be bringing you an episode for those of us who can feel a little burnt out about all the cooking. And to talk about this, we have none other than Jamie Geller. Jamie has been one of my dream podcast guests from the very beginning, and this episode went way beyond my hopes, so I'm super excited for you guys. This interview was fun, deep, and inspirational. We ended up dividing it into two parts because there was so much going on here, so make sure you're subscribed for next week too so you don't miss that episode. For those of you who don't know her, Jamie introduces herself beautifully in the interview, so I'm going to leave most of that for her, but she is essentially the queen of kosher cooking. And we see her today as super confident as she's teaching us her new creative recipes, but I wanted to know what it was like for her as a newlywed. And if you, like me, have read the intro to her first cookbook, Quick and Kosher, you know that it was not always such smooth sailing. (laughs) So again, make sure that you've subscribed because this week we're going to be talking about her experience as a newlywed and different ways that we can get excitement and motivation about the cooking that we are doing in our life. But next week, she shares some really beautiful insights about entrepreneurship, juggling home and family, and the dream of living in Israel. Enjoy the interview. All right, Jamie Geller, thank you so much for coming on to the First Year Married podcast. I have been waiting for a long time for this moment. I'm so (laughs) glad it's here. Yeah, we've had to be very flexible with each other figuring this out, but I'm glad it finally happened. So for anyone who's listening to the podcast who doesn't know who Jamie Geller is, then if you keep kosher, you've for sure been living under a rock. So (laughs) I don't know that happened, but we have a pretty wide audience here. Jamie Geller, I mean... From what I see, and you can tell me if there's a more official description, you're the queen of kosher cooking. I mean, I'll take it. (laughs) 
turn down the crown, although I feel very not, uh, let's say, royal at this particular moment in time, but thank you. Right. <laughs> so you have like an entire kosher network. Can you give us a little bit of like a background of who you are now? Because I for sure want to be digging back as well into who you were in the beginning. Sure. Well, by the way, I'm the same person, but... <laughs> Um, so right now, I'm the CEO of Kosher Network International, which is the number one global kosher food media company in the world. Uh, we have an audience of 5 million and about 1 billion views. Wow. Okay. It's amazing. And again, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time for this, because I think that you have so much to offer our audience, whether you keep kosher or not. Listening to somebody who has mastered the kitchen, I can tell you personally, I have learned a lot from Jamie. I'm really excited for what we can, we can offer here. As I mentioned before we started, that when I was a newlywed, I came across your cookbook, Quick and Kosher. And in the beginning of that cookbook, you talk about your experience as a newlywed. And I felt so understood <laughs> when I read it. I'd love for you to just share a little bit about some of the challenges that you found around cooking and being a newlywed. Sure. Well, first of all, I'm so glad that you felt that way. Um, I wrote it for myself and for everyone like me. And so obviously that's you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's so crazy because it was before blogging, that first book. It was before social media. Cookbooks had become like, you know, recipe books with like a little header note. And I really wanted to write an autobiography slash cookbook because I felt so much of the style of cooking was informed by my life experience. And so I feel like it means a lot to me that you connected with it. I wrote the book first and then I'm like, oh yeah, it needs recipes. Like if I'm going to call it a cookbook, I maybe you should have some recipes. So I feel like that was really, you know, important to me to include that personal story in there and basically finding myself, the subtitle is recipes from the bride who knew nothing. I knew nothing about what it means to be married right? Like you don't have any training for that. You just let mine like wake up like, oh my gosh. You know, I knew nothing about what it was like to obviously, I didn't grow up religious, so to have a kosher home and what that means in terms of the level of cooking and expectations, you know, set around uh, the holidays and the kitchen, the weekly, you know, Shabbos, which is the Sabbath meal, like and uh, entertaining on a weekly basis. What I grew up with was Thanksgiving. You know, we did that once a year. Exactly. And now it was like, okay, every week I got to produce this like Thanksgiving level type uh, meal. And so a lot of the book was about finding myself as a new bride. And so I really was intrigued when you reached out to me for this like first year married podcast. I felt like, yes, I get it. This is like so amazing. And it's incredible now that we have resources like podcasts and social to help us navigate this first year and beyond because every year comes with its challenges. And that was really what the book was meant to hopefully portray and give strength to all of us who were just like, okay, bride who knew nothing, now what? Mm -hmm. I think it's amazing that you even in, in that time were able to have the awareness that you were even struggling. I find that for a lot of women that I talk to when they're like three to five years married or 10 years married, they say to me, I wish I could go back to when I was a newlywed and like help myself out. Or in a lot of cases, we're just so excited and we're sort of starry eyed and we don't really even stop to notice, oh, wait, I'm a little bit overwhelmed over here or this thing is something that I need to work on. That's pretty exceptional that you even were able to sort of take stock. Well, I was more than a little bit overwhelmed. So that's perhaps why I guess if you're only a little bit overwhelmed, you don't realize like, you know, okay, this is challenging, that's challenging, but you're pushing through it. But I think when you're seriously overwhelmed, I think it's like, it hits you like a brick wall. You're like, I need help. I need to figure out how to do this. I need to figure out how to navigate these waters. I'm working, I'm expecting, I'm commuting. You know, we moved out. I lived in the city. I told you I went to NYU 
I had an apartment, a penthouse apartment, you know, Manhattan. I used to crawl out of bed and like walk two blocks to my uh, job. I was a TV producer at CNN. I chose the apartment because it was close to my work. And now suddenly I move out to the suburbs and I'm commuting in. That takes the three hours of your day door to door. I'm expecting, I'm feeling sick. Um, oh, and I have to cook dinner. Like before as a single girl in Manhattan, like I always say, you could literally have everything delivered to your door, even a stick of gum. Like you don't even need to buy the pack. If you just want the stick, like they'll deliver it to you. You know, I never turned on my oven. I used it for storage. I lived in a Manhattan apartment. I, um, if I wanted to have as a single girl, like yogurt and cut up fruit for dinner, that was like awesome. Like I was like, so taking care of myself and amazing. And now like I had this husband and he, if I suggested yogurt and cut up fruit for dinner, I mean, he doesn't even want that for breakfast, you know? So it's like, it was like everything was, you know, flying. Yep. I, even today, I still have my husband going, just, I just want to remind you that I, I eat about twice as much as you because <laughs> like, I'll make dinner and I'm like, here we go. Here's dinner. And he's like, where's the rest of it? <laughs> totally. This is a nice starter. Now what? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And, you know, I do want to sort of acknowledge, because I know there's definitely people listening who are like, wait, but what if my husband should be doing the cooking? Or what if we share that? And of course, you know, some people, they do stick with takeout for a little while. Some people, or maybe even for a long while. And sometimes the husband is more involved or, or he sort of plays sous chef or vice versa, right? So there's a lot of different kind of arrangements that people can um, can come up with. But what I think is really interesting is that sometimes we get so caught up in the like, what's fair that we miss out on the opportunity of like, maybe actually this could become something I really enjoy in my life that I feel well, good I about. Think, maybe I even want to be the person doing this. I think I'm so pleased that you brought this up because obviously my little one-liners are never share the whole story. And right. my husband loves the kitchen, by the way, that's number one. Number two is he taught me how to cook. He grew up in a house where his mother and father cooked, by the way, and he worked in catering for many years. And him and all of, he come from a family of boys. So lots of brothers, lots of uncles. They all worked in catering in the kitchen, in the back of the house, in the front of the house. So it was very comfortable for him. And he never was like, what's for dinner? As if it's only on me, but kind of like, what's for dinner? And, you know, I said to him, I don't know, you tell me. And he literally took me by the hand. I never touched a raw chicken in my life before. We, and we made that first chicken the first time. One of my favorite and most famous recipes to this day is called duck sauce chicken. And the two ingredients are duck sauce and chicken. And that was one <laughs> of his bachelor, bachelor recipes that he loved, you know, and that, you know, his stepmother used to always make, you know, for him. And it's just like, he taught me a lot. And to this day, we share everything. He does all the shopping. I do not shop. I don't like shopping for clothes. So I really, really don't, also don't like shopping for vegetables. I just want them to appear, you know, like magically. I want the clothes to appear magically in my closet and I want the food to magically appear, you know, in my refrigerator. So he does all the shopping. We do the menu planning together. We literally sit down for the week. And um, because we do this weekly Shabbos meals that I told that we spoke about. So Saturday night or Sunday morning, we plan the next week's meals, like the big meal. And then we plan all the dinners together. And it's important to have your spouse and when you're past the first year married, all your kids, like knowing what their favorites are and making sure that like dinner reflects things that they're going to eat. Now you can't please everyone if you have a large family, but like everyone's involved in the menu planning to some extent and or they're, they're considered like, we know that, you know, this is a family favorite. So this is going on the menu. And then we make shopping lists. And like I said, that he does the shopping. A lot of my husband and the kids, I am a super delegator. I work full time. I thank God, super duper busy. And so like the kids, I have sous chefs. We're putting them to work. They're peeled. The vegetables are cut. The veg like, and everyone has jobs and I tell them what I need to do. So this way when I'm going to put together a chicken soup, it takes me five minutes. 
because the youngest ones peel the vegetables, the older ones cut the vegetables, you know, like, and that's how, and that's how we do it. And then it's literally like when you watch those cooking shows, it's called in French mise en place, everything mm -hmm. in its place. Do you ever watch a cooking show and like the carrots are ready cut and measured out and the scallions are ready clean and, and like right. and diced the way that you want them? And you're like, of course, boom, boom, boom. It would be so easy if that's what my kitchen was like. I set up a system to allow for that. So certainly not everyone's family can function that way. Everyone has to do what's right. But there is absolutely no shame in sharing and in delegating and in empowering your kids and or your spouse to, you know, have a have comfort, confidence, and a, a role in the food and the kitchen prep. Oh, that's so helpful because it, I, I really just feel like we're next week celebrating our 11th anniversary. So, and we have four kids, Lots nine and down. Of, Thank uh -huh. you. And I feel like I've really seen, and I know there is more to come. I don't yet have a teenage boy. Like that's going to change everything, I'm sure. <laughs> but you know, there's, there's when it's just the two of you. And I mean, when we were newlyweds, I literally remember my husband coming home from work and I'd be like, so what, what do you think we should eat tonight? And we would have to go to the grocery store. I mean, yeah. by 30, I didn't understand why I was like super moody, but I was just hungry. <laughs> you know, we just, it, we call that hangry. Yes, exactly. There was a lot of that. There was a lot of that going on and this, you know, for him, but so like, you know, in the beginning, but then when it's just two people, sometimes you can just have last night's leftovers. You can kind of scrounge the fridge. And then when the kids are little, so you don't have the kind of help that you're talking about, but they also don't need as much going on with the meal either. So it's interesting. That oh, it really they does totally come in don't. Stages. <laughs> yeah. How then did you get this transition? Because we're hearing where you are now, but then in the beginning feeling all this new stuff and this isn't how you were raised and this wasn't what your expectation was going in. How did you get from there to, I guess, to not just sort of being annoyed and resentful with food all the time. I felt a lot of resentment in the beginning about being in the kitchen and, uh, and it wasn't relegated there. Just so you know, like it wasn't a, a sexist or a chauvinistic situation where I was in there by myself, but I just felt like it wasn't my passion. It wasn't my love. It wasn't where I wanted to be or where I wanted to spend my time. It wasn't a place for me to express myself creatively. And I just, I, I couldn't like, come to terms with that like this is a like a home for me like this is where I'm going to be spending a lot of time it didn't bring me joy and so instead of what I decided to do and I didn't do this purposefully it just happens when we find ourselves in situations I think we have a choice we can be resentful we can be angry and it hurts no one more then it hurts us, right? Like obviously the people around us will suffer, but no one suffers more than we are if that's the reality we choose to live in. Or I think this was again, not purposeful, and, but it was like a defense mechanism or almost like a survival tactic. I had to find joy in something and I found joy in the end product. So what that means is to this day, I'm married, we just had our 16 year anniversary. I put out seven books. To this day, I don't love cooking but I love the end result. So what is the end result? It's I love entertaining. I love having my family around the table. I love when somebody says, whether it's a guest or whether it's one of my kids, like, oh, mommy, like, I, I love this. You made my favorite thing, or you're the best cook, or I love your food the best, or this is so delicious. Can I have more? Or mm, whatever it is, like, I find so much happiness and joy in that. So the cooking is the means to the end, right? Like we can't get there <laughs> unless it cooks. So I, it, I try, my recipes are fast. 
There are a few ingredients, as few, as few pieces of equipment as possible. I try not to overcomplicate them. I try to make that process in and out. And like I said, and I employ the rest of my, my team, if you will, which is my family, to you know, help make that process go smoother and quicker. We put music on when we're in the kitchen. We're in the kitchen together. Like I found it was very important that my husband be there, my kids be there, my boys, my girls. You know, this, it just brings more joy to the experience. And then it's really the end result that I'm focusing on that brings me the most fulfillment and happiness. And it's such a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way, because like when we're in the kitchen and we're resentful, then no one wants to join us in there. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and totally, so then, yes. But when we've got the music on and, yeah, and then we find a way of enjoying it, then I feel like everyone's kind of like, what's going on in that room? That seems kind of cool. Yeah. And then they end up with a peeler in their hand before they know it, you know? Totally, totally. I think I've seen a couple of different places, but I don't remember the exact wording. Something like that you, you describe your recipes as so that you can get out of the kitchen. Yeah, I always say I am the only cookbook author who wants to get you out of the kitchen, right? We can't ignore it entirely. My mother growing up, uh, so I I inherited this, by the way, it's in my DNA that I don't like the kitchen. So growing up, my mother never, ever cooked. She went, I think, 16 years after I, like we left the house um, and I was in college without turning on the oven once, just so you know. And when when we were building a house, um, when I was 10, she actually wanted to not include a kitchen. And then she said, well, at least can I, I'm going to put the kitchen because she designed the house and built it from scratch. I'm going to put it off to the side of the house by the garage. So I never have to walk through it if I don't want to. You know, like so much of like design plans. The kitchen is the great room. It's the heart of the home. It's like the central where everyone congregates. She didn't even want to have to walk through it if she didn't have to. So I'm saying like, I really was had a lot working against me <laughs> when I got married. That we say I was never raised to be a balabusto, which is like the Yiddish word for like homemaker slash Martha Stewart, you know? So um, I just, uh, we have to embrace the things that bring us the most joy. Being in there, dough from scratch and growing your own herb garden and then picking the herbs and then, you know, like, you know, eight step uh, sauce to go on the, on, the, on the protein, which we didn't even get to yet is not your thing. Don't do that. There's so many ways to produce food for the family that don't include, you know, a year and a day in the kitchen. And I always say like slavery. So yesterday, like I'm not about slaving in the kitchen, I, mm-hmm. in and out. Yeah. I mean, it just makes me feel like more, <laughs> even more trust in everything. I feel like with your recipes more than anyone else, I felt like I could get them down. Like I would make them once or twice. And then, yeah, I know, like maybe I have to check one little thing, but I know how to do this. It was always very intuitive and very natural. And so it helped me feel like I was really learning how to cook and learning around the kitchen where when you were following somebody who just, they really do love being in the kitchen and they do like all the little extra pieces, then, you know, they, it's hard. You have to have so much focus. You can't have someone trying to talk to you while you're cooking. It's, you don't really pick it up as like some kind of rhythm. So that makes a lot of sense from what you're saying that we want to create great food, but we don't necessarily want to be making ourselves crazy in the process. For sure. And that's why there are always 31 flavors at Baskin Robbins, because there are people that the kitchen is their joy, it is their passion, is their creative outlet. To be in there and making a pie match is like nothing brings them more fulfillment. And that's why that there are cookbook authors and or bloggers and or influencers out there in the food space that speak to them and speak to that, that joy of um, from scratch, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then there have to be others for us, you know, like mm-hmm. everyone has to find the person that, that they connect to from a from a, you know, let's call it a kitchen profiler style perspective, you know? (laughs) Amazing. What do you find that are the most popular type of recipes from the people that are following your work? 
Uh, definitely the Jewish classics. Mm. Definitely. So um, we have two uh, and both sides of the coin. So the Ashkenazim, right? The more uh, European jewelry classics. So like your brisket, your kugels, uh, chicken soup. Um, let's think what else falls into there. Bagels, lots of sort of like American jewelry kind of stuff, like all those. And then on the Sephardic side, things like Sabih, more Israeli contemporary things like falafel, amba sauce, arayas, uh, Moroccan fish, uh, uh, you know, uh, couscous dishes, you know, things that are very sort of Israeli, Middle Eastern, Mediterranean, North African, mm -hmm. uh, all the dips. So things like our most popular uh, video has like over 70 million views. It's madbucha, which really? is basically like, yeah, look at it, it's an Arabic tomato, North African style dip, you know, and then um, baba ganoush, which is like a smoky eggplant dip. And all these in what we call in Israel salatim, which are salads, Moroccan carrot salad, all these kind of like dips and small salads and small plates. So, you know, definitely, definitely, even though I do a tremendous amount of three ingredient dinners and five ingredients, four ingredients desserts and all those like do well, but it's sort of these like Jewish classics that people love coming to us too. And it's not just Jewish people that come for it. It's all the people that just love either the authenticity or the ethnicity or the um, the locales that those, 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 that those foods are um, reminiscent of and inspired by. So cool. So, so cool. I, I didn't expect you to say that as an answer. I mean, <laughs> I know you have like Jewish and there's all these like delicious looking yeah. desserts and everything. I would have thought that, yeah. but that makes sense. You know, you are the, think, the kosher queen. I think people like them because they're entertaining to watch. How many are recreating them? I don't know but they love watching because a lot of those are the videos that we do and videos are very popular content, but, but yeah, but I also, I try my hardest to just do like this few ingredient weekly dinners, but they can't even compare numbers wise. Like you're talking a few hundred thousand versus like 70 million, you right. know, it's like wow. not even in the same ballpark. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. So we have, I mean, I'm already kind of jumping there, but if we could just take a step back because we talked about quick and kosher, but that was the very beginning. There is so much right now. I, just be curious about if you can describe to us some of the different things that you offer that are parts of your business. And specifically, if there's anything that you feel like would be a really good match for a newlywed, like what should she check out anywhere between, in, say, in the first five, five years of marriage? Sure. So we do have seven cookbooks, like I said. Um, one is Quick and Kosher, Recipes from the Bride Who Knew Nothing. And that's all of like your basic few ingredient, uh, few pieces of equipment, 15 minutes or less to prep, you know, even though the brisket or the kugel or the, or the chicken or the roast may have to be in the oven for, let's say like an hour or two, but like the actual active time of you doing stuff, it's like 15 minutes or less. And many of the ingredient recipes are five minutes. And I, I said something on my, one of my first TV appearances, a lot of them are what we call dump and serve recipes. You just dump everything in and then you like, you know, put it in the oven or you serve it. And I remember my publicist saying, oh, you did great on TV, Jamie. Just never use the word dump and food in the same sentence again. <laughs> so I think it really accurately reflects, you know, like all in the bowl, mix it up, put it in the oven or get it onto the table. So really simple, you know, that. Then I've got other books, which are Meals and Minutes, which show you how to prepare the main, the side, and the dessert in a matter of minutes. Um, I have books, just a brisket 101, if that's something that you want to master in terms of technique. Um, we have a No Mistaking Baking, which I really hate baking the most. I feel like it's so much of a science, and it was, it's so hard for me to, um, to execute because like cooking is a little bit more intuitive, and you have a little bit more latitude and flexibility with mistakes. And so I created that No Mistaking Baking book because I don't always want to make a Duncan Hines cake. 
but I don't always want to be like, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a uh, trained uh, pastry chef by any sense of the word. So that's that book. So those are all like in the book space. And then we have a website, jamiegallery.com, which has over 10,000 recipes. And uh, you can filter things based on, you know, obviously category or few ingredients or classics. So definitely check that out. And then on social media, um, we have a few social media handles on every platform. So we're on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Pinterest, even LinkedIn. It's quite exhausting. But, <laughs> um, but probably our most popular is the Jewish by Jamie Facebook page. It's also on Instagram and also on TikTok. And that's where we show these really super entertaining Jewish classic videos. And we call them like, you know, pans and pans videos. Like you don't see anything to distract you. There's no words. It's just music and you see the hands and you see the pans and it's so easy to follow along and it makes you feel like a lot of people are visual learners. I think that's why video is so popular. Like once they see it happening, they can digest it and they can recreate it. And a lot of people cook along with the videos because as much as you tell people, this recipe is just a few ingredients and just a few steps. When you see a lot of writing on a page, it's just like overwhelming. And they feel like they can't really understand as much as we try to write as simply as possible. They don't even start to read because it's too much. But when you see it happening in front of your eyes like that, in like about six, I'm like, I could do that, you know? And then it just allows you have the rest of the written recipe to support you, you know, as you're reading. But once you saw it visually, it changes your whole confidence level in terms of attempting something in the kitchen. So I think that that's why the Julish by Jamie um, social media, um, content has done so well. I can completely relate to that. I feel like it, it partly makes you feel like, okay, that didn't look so complicated. I could do that. And, and also it, it looks so fun. (laughs) Yeah. There's music in the background. You need to cook with music. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Okay. I'm starting to learn this lesson. People Um, take nothing else away from this. Just put the music on. (laughs) Okay, my friends, that's it for now. Make sure you're subscribed and tune in next week for more from Jamie. We'll be talking about her transition to married life, her advice for new entrepreneurs, and how the Geller family dream of making Aliyah finally came to fruition. Have an amazing week. Bye-bye.